You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Lawrence. Today on Footprints, we welcome Cameron Fitzgerald, the Managing Director of Southern Rural Water. Cameron is a leader with heart. He strives to build strong workplace culture and genuinely cares for his employees. He is also interested in the spiritual side of life and encouraging everyone to find their creative and authentic selves. Cameron loves to write and has even self-published a children's book. He has a long-standing successful career in the water industry, most notably creating the Target 155 program during the millennium drought. Hi, Cameron. Welcome to the podcast. G'day, Sam. It's great to be here. Uh, That was a very lovely intro. Thank you. It's a pleasure having you here today. I'd love to start by asking you to just briefly describe your leadership journey so far and how you've ended up where you are today. Uh, yeah, so I've been, uh, I've had a career spanning 21 uh, years. I studied as a chemical engineer at Melbourne University and I was lucky enough to get a job at the Environment Protection Authority in Victoria as a graduate. And it was a really fantastic experience for me because as a graduate, I was, off, I was afforded an opportunity to learn lots of different parts of the business early in my career. What I learned from that was it was really important to understand uh, the business that you work for and the value that you create for the community that you serve and for people. Uh, you know, then after APA for five years, I went to KPMG. I worked at KPMG Australia as a consultant doing advisory work. And that was a phenomenal um, professional experience, the driving really logical, well thought through um, considered program of works uh, for mm-hmm. clients and understanding the other side of the fence, what it was like to be a consultant rather than a, uh, a client um, yeah. and some of the challenges associated with that. And then I uh, had the opportunity to move into the water industry, initially at City West Water, then I moved to Melbourne Water, uh, back to City West Water, and now I'm the Managing Director of Southern Rural Water. Um, yes. And throughout that journey, you know, I've had the opportunity to lead some really important community-wide initiatives, whether that's, as you touched on, the Target 155 program during the Millennium Drought, uh, 50-year water resource strategies for Melbourne, commercial propositions around changing the underlying commercial and um, financial outcomes for uh, the water industry and uh, leading discussions around climate change and technology transformation Mm. uh, and long-term strategy for our water businesses. Yes, amazing. You know, and there's a lot of experience in there leading, you know, large companies and large teams. I'd love to know what leadership means to you. Yeah, I think um, leadership for me is about trust and mm. trust can't be demanded. It's got to be earned uh, and, it's, and it's a difficult thing because you've got to be able to listen. You've got to be able to show empathy. And empathy mm. is a really important part of leadership from my perspective. So that um, it's not sympathy. It's not taking on other people's problems for them, but mm. it's understanding that everybody has a different perspective and it requires deep listening and it requires connection. And when you achieve that, you build trust because people believe that you have the best interests of them and the business that you're working for at heart. Mm. And if you can create an environment where that's the case, people will tell you things that they wouldn't otherwise tell you, (laughs) things that you need to hear, sometimes things that are really hard to hear (laughs) and confronting. (laughs) Um, as a leader, but the things you need to know to get better. 
And that's the other part of leadership that's really necessary. The deep listening is about getting better every day. I don't have a mortgage on being right. I'm not right quite often. I have an obligation to listen and to get better and learn every day and learn from my people and learn from my customers and stakeholders um, and everyone around and share my opinions and views openly as well to support them in their learning. When you create an environment of good two-way communication, um, built on trust, understanding uh, where others are coming from, uh, you create an environment where you can challenge the possibilities that you see now and you can achieve great things and you translate those relationships into imagining a better future, Um, a future Mm -hmm. where, you know, for example, water use reduces to ensure that, uh, you know, the state doesn't run out of water or um, there are opportunities to um, enhance irrigation outcomes so that we have food security and great export economies. So I'd love to know, how does your value of authenticity impact your work and your leadership style? I can't be anybody else. And authenticity is just about being yourself, in my view. And people don't trust you if you're not yourself. So it comes back to what I was talking about before, about what leadership means to me. If you're not authentically yourself, they won't trust you, they won't listen. And you don't have any Mm. followers. You can't be a leader if you don't have followers. Yes, yes. that's that's a really important part for me. And I guess from that perspective, in being myself, it also allows me to be wrong from time to time. Um, Mm. And it allows me to be able to be vulnerable. And vulnerability takes courage. Yes. Because it hurts more when someone criticises you if you're vulnerable. (laughs) But it's actually your greatest leadership strength yeah. to be able to put yourself out there and say, you know what, I'm going to have a crack at this. I'm going to have mm. a view. I'm going to present my opinion. I'm going to really listen hard. I'm going to learn and challenge myself mm-hmm. to be better. And that feels uncomfortable at times, but it is the pathway to delivering great leadership outcomes. And for me, I've, I've got a little saying that is about not defining uh, myself by what just happened, but defining myself by what happens next. If I've got it wrong, having the courage to admit it, to face up to it, and then take it on and say, what am I going to do next? And to me, that's authentic leadership in the way I deliver it. And I'm excited by challenging myself to continue to do that. And so inspiring then as well for all of your colleagues and anyone working for you to go there themselves and to for, for you to, to bring that authenticity out of them in the workplace as well. I think that's really important. You've got to create a workplace that gets the best out of everybody and recognises that everyone's different. And mm-hmm. so you're absolutely right in saying that if I model that behaviour, it gives everybody um, a chance to do it to do it themselves. It is a bit rich for me to be able to say it. I have a very privileged position. I am the managing director of an organisation and it's it's a little easier for me to say, oh, I'll just you know, roll up and I'm authentically myself <laughs> and it's, you know, it's yeah. great. Um, when you walk into a new organisation or you feel a little bit set aside by an organisation or you don't feel like your voice matters, there are a whole range of reasons why it's it's not easy for everybody to do that. 
And while mm. my job is to demonstrate great behaviours in that regard, um, it can't be done just itself. It's, I have to inspire a movement of people um, that behave the same and a culture yes. that is open, a culture that's inclusive um, so that every person from the uh, most junior, newest person um, in the organisation to the most senior and experienced person in the organisation feels like they can have a say and that they can be themselves. And if we create an environment like that, that's when yes. the magic happens. That's, yes, when, the, that's when the spark of inspiration emerges that you couldn't have achieved individually. Um, you can only achieve collectively and it can only be created when you create an environment where everybody can be authentically themselves. So that's the gold. The words, yep. they're really easy to say. Um, the doing is really, really hard and uh, that's my great passion for leadership to create those environments and some days... <laughs> Some days better than others. Um, yeah, I'm easier not saying than others. I've got a mortgage <laughs> on uh, making that happen, um, but I've got a great desire and passion to create that for all the people who I work with. Yeah, yeah. What has been one of the most difficult decisions you've had to make as a leader? Um, I, I don't pin it down to one decision. I, I have a theme on, on these difficult ones. The ones that are about people are always the yes. hardest. The ones yep. that are about um, moments where you might have to have uh, challenging conversations or where you go through um, a restructure of an organisation or some performance management that requires you mm. to make a judgement about whether or not some people uh, will or won't be a part of the future of an organisation. And mm. I wear those ones very heavily. It's really important. And when I talked about... Um, the, the trust piece uh, earlier, these jobs are not about just building trust for the sake of it. They're, they're yeah. for a purpose. Um, yeah. My customers pay me to lead a business that delivers great value for them. Mm. And sometimes there are win-wins. Sometimes there are great outcomes where you can achieve uh, things that develop people and get great outcomes for our customers. And they're the great things. They're the great moments. They're the ones that you, you celebrate and you enjoy as a team and, and, you know, you're really, really proud of. And there are other times where you've got to make decisions around um, delivering better value um, and some of that can be about um, really changing the way in which things work. Mm. And it's at that time that empathy is really important as well. The hard decisions yeah. are necessary at times they have to be well thought through and then they have to be, everything has to be done with thought and humanity and mm. they're, they're the ones that weigh the heaviest because, you know, your decisions are impacting on, um, on others. Um, I won't shirk those decisions. If they're necessary, um, they'll be made, but they'll always be done with heart and empathy and the right support mechanisms around those changes and uh, it doesn't make it any easier, though. Has your experience over the years made that any easier? Have you found ways, strategies, you know, that, that has helped that over time? I think, number one, you've got to remain true to yourself in the, in, on the good days and the bad days. Being authentically yeah. yourself um, matters. Um, you can't just change your mode and say, all right, now, now it's, it's tough 
leader today and uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's happy leader tomorrow. Um, yeah. Although some people who know me know that my moods do go a little bit up and down. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, the strategies are the same. They, you just got to treat people um, with respect and be upfront and clear and be empathetic. And no, uh, it doesn't get any easier. No. <laughs> it's just the no. way it is. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to know, do you have any sort of secret or special routine that you follow to keep motivated and stay organised? That's a really interesting question because uh, I think the answer to that early in my career is quite different to now. So ah. there's a there's a little bit of a, a journey on that one, I think. I used to uh, I used to wear a tie all the time, and it's right. not really uh, you know, ties are less prevalent these days. But when I started my career, I'd wear a tie, and at the Environment Protection Authority, that wasn't a very common uh, thing at the time. Right. Um, it was a uh, an organisation that certainly didn't value wearing ties, but I'd always wear a tie, and in large part that was because I wanted to project a professional attitude and mm. it's not to say that I didn't think my colleagues were unprofessional or anything like that but but it was just for me it was about saying this is how I feel confident to come in and be myself yeah. and it was almost like wearing a uniform so it's my mm. uniform to be my work self and I could yep. come in and I could I could feel like well if I looked professional then I can be me yeah and I did that for a long time and over time it became less necessary to wear the uniform to be me. Mm. Mm -hmm. And what I actually found was that the uniform was creating a me that was a a work version of me, not a me version of me. So I started to um, not wear my tie Um, from time to time. I still like wearing a tie. um, There's something that I still do enjoy about looking good and um, presenting myself well to the world. But, you still look fabulous today, might I add. Uh, well, thank you. That's uh, a <laughs> beautiful shirt, looking fabulous without the tie. <laughs> um, I, I must say, uh, the COVID period hasn't um, hasn't done my waistline many yeah, um, many Me choices. Neither. So, uh, yep. <laughs> I'm glad I'm sitting down. That's everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't need to wear a tie to be me, and that's one yeah. of my big learnings. The other thing I used to do would be um, before a big meeting or if I was if I was on my way to something really significant, I'd crank up some music and I'd listen to some you know, uh, tunes that you might describe as uh, fire up type tunes. Yeah. Um, if there was a big uh, moment that was coming and uh, or somewhere where I really wanted to to make a difference in a conversation and shape that conversation, Eminem's uh, "Lose Yourself" being. Uh, been one of the favourites, particularly the uh, nice. the opening lines. But again, I think over time, what I realised was that these things aren't an event. Um, so mm-hmm. I was looking at the way in which I worked as as a set of events, whereas your work life is a stream of um, effort, um, and you you can learn just as much bumping into someone in the corridor or talking to someone on Zoom during these COVID times or or what have you. And it's actually opening yourself to those conversations uh, where you can learn a heap more and you can be more influential 
in other things Mm -hmm. and not wearing a tie and not having to fire yourself up by listening to some music actually opens your mind to being more a part of just listening. And certainly one of the things that I um, I like to do, a little less so in this job because I'm, I'm often in my car outside COVID times in this job, but it's yep. to, is to just have a, some time during the day to wander around and, and bump into people and, and have a chat and hear from yeah. them so that I can understand that. Uh, if there's one thing, though, back on your question that I do now, to get myself organised and and ready. Uh, I have a little bit of a routine before I go to sleep. If there's something big on the next day, something that I need to deliver on, I just think through before I go to bed just a a couple of things about that that I then just sleep on. And what I find is that that uh, mode of being uh, using sleep time to uh, think through those issues um, opens my mind to some clarity on those issues and I find that uh, my morning work is much uh, better and more organised and better positioned. So that's one of my methods uh, that I use now. Fantastic. Great little tip there for everyone. What has been your greatest professional achievement and why? Oh, look, the, as mentioned, the Target 155 program was uh, a really fantastic achievement that I was a part of. I was appointed to lead a task force uh, when Melbourne was in a really significant drought period Um, and it was a joint task force. There's four water businesses in Melbourne, City West Water, Yarra Valley Water, South East Water and Melbourne Water and I was appointed to lead a a joint task force on that and the initial task was to prepare a plan about what would happen if, um, if it continued to not rain over the winter period in 2008 and I worked with a team of people, a fantastic team of people and that that's probably of all the parts of this is that we achieved things together which is just as important to me as, as what the outcome is, that it was it was a real team effort and we came up with a plan and the, our approvers, the managing directors of the four business said that it's a good plan, great. And uh, yep. hopefully, hopefully we don't need to use it because hopefully it'll rain. And um, and we hoped the same thing as well because um, mm. Melbourne had been in a very long-term drought and, and there were some concerns that it might run out of water. Mm. And uh, unfortunately it didn't rain and they said, well, you know, you've, um, you wrote the plan so we're going to have to implement it and you, know, you can uh, lead, the, lead the task force from the industry perspective to implement the plan. Uh, which was a bit of a moment of, uh, whoa, okay, well, hope this works. And we've done yep. a lot of research and we've worked um, closely with people, but there's there's those moments where you say, okay, well, we write it down, now we've got to be accountable for making that happen. And we implemented uh, lots and lots of different ways of working, really proud of the effort that went in across our industry to exchange over 450,000 showerheads over a period of time and uh, to encourage community members to change. But there's one thing that we said at the time that we didn't just want to be a part of protecting Melbourne from today's drought. We wanted to be a part of drought-proofing Melbourne over the long term. And mm-hmm. so before the program, there were Melbourne used, on average, Melbournians used 208 litres per person per day back in the early 2000s. 
that dropped during the program to below 155 letters per person per day to 149, which was uh, excellent. But the most edifying part now is that Melbournians still only use a touch over 160 letters per person per day, which highlights that the effort that we put in to change behaviours, to change um, water use appliances, to work um, across all sectors of the community to support them to meet an objective has been long-lasting and we're reaping the rewards for that over the long run. And so for me, uh, the fact that we did this as a team is a huge effort across our whole industry, across people inside our government um, with great ministerial support and those sort of things gave us the opportunity to change things, not just to meet the immediate task, but to also um, set up Melbourne for an even better future. And I'm really, really proud of that work. Congratulations and thank you for doing that work. Incredible achievement. What are the biggest changes that you have seen in the water industry throughout your career and what key shifts do you see on the horizon? I think uh, climate change has been a really big factor. We talk about the millennium drought. That was a, uh, an event that was outside our planning horizon as an industry And it really significantly impacted the community wellbeing and livability. You know, gardens were brown, um, sports were significantly interrupted, some businesses were really severely interrupted, Um, Mm. food security was challenged. And we were, even though things like Target 155 were a part of the solution, um, we needed to implement those things quickly um, and with urgency. And climate change is a really significant factor moving forward, that that's an example of uh, an event that hadn't been planned for. And so what we need to do is we need to look forward and we say, well, we don't know when there will be another drought or how severe that drought will be, but we we do have knowledge that there will be another drought and it will be severe at some point and we need to be ready for it. Equally there'll be floods and um, we'll need to be ready for those as well. Uh, Some of the climate change predictions are really clear about greater intensity of rainfall over shorter periods of time. And Mm. the critical thing for infrastructure providers like the water industry who put in place infrastructure, some of which is over 100 years old, and new infrastructure that will last for over 100 years, is to do that in a way that prepares ourselves for lots and lots of different scenarios. I think the other point about what's changing is technology. Our ability to uh, operate our systems, our ability to connect with customers, our ability to give customers better data uh, and higher reliability to do things more safely in the way in which we operate uh, is huge. And the application Mm -hmm. of technologies to improve the way we work is, is the other really big mega trend for us as as organisations. I'm fascinated by um, population growth. If you had have said to me three or four months ago, I would have said, you know, meeting the challenges and opportunities of an expanding population um, for our state um, and nationally would be a really important factor. But I think it's really unclear now about about what will happen post-COVID around population growth. And it will, again, it's another uncertainty and so the key thing for us as, a, as an industry, we need to be aware and ready for uncertainties where, mm. you know, they talk about black swan events where uh, things outside the planning paradigm occur 
and change everything. And we're in one right now. Yeah. And the and the businesses that succeed and the organisations that continue to deliver great outcomes for the communities and customers that they serve are going to be the ones that are ready and adaptive and capable of taking advantage of the benefits uh, of change uh, mm-hmm. and also understanding uh, some of the risks associated and managing those risks well through the through the issues. And we've got much more to play on that at the moment. Um, it's, it's a challenging but very, very exciting time um, if at the heart of what you do is creating community value. So I'm pretty excited. Yes. So... Cameron, you have a passion for writing. You even have a self-published children's book and a manuscript in progress. How important is creativity to you in your work and in your life? Uh, a little bit embarrassed about the um, about the mention of the children's book. Um, it might not be that great uh, and certainly the manuscript might not be uh, fabulous. Um, <laughs> writing is a, is a passion that I've sort of grown uh, more recently in my life, but it, it sort of highlights something that I never thought I could do um, and I challenged myself to do something quite different to my normal work life. And so the publishing of the children's book was um, really exciting and something I'm really proud of. Um, it might not be that good, but it's been something that challenged me to look at the world differently. And I think that's what I want to do um, and I think that's what creativity is. When you think creatively about what the future might hold in the work environment, to think mm-hmm. through the lens of um, a different audience like children gives uh, gives you a great sense of um, a different sense of what might be possible or the importance or a way of thinking about the way you go about it. And so I love the sense of creativity that can be brought to the work environment. Um, Leadership uh, isn't required where a problem is not complex. If you're you're a leader uh, where there's a simple answer, you're not not needed. The the answer's Mm. there. Um, You're just simply signing off or ticking a box. Leadership is required when there's a complex problem and complex problems require creative answers. Um, answers that take into account the context that you're in um, and take advantage of different ways of uh, working and different things that other people do as well as some of your own, just that moment spark of inspiration that you and your teams can create that fundamentally change things. And that's what I'm most passionate about is is those moments where you can apply a bit of creativity. We talk as an industry about innovation a lot and I think that gets mixed up a bit with invention and we're not inventors. But um, what we can be are people, uh, organisations that um, apply, uh, that put in place novel applications of other people's technologies that open their minds to what other people are doing and say, you know what, we could do that differently or, or better or in a, a different context get value from those innovations. And for me, that's a really creative way of going about our work. So uh, the creative side of me is something that I'm exploring and as I explore it, I think it helps with my work. Yes, yes. And is that something that you really, you know, strive to spark in the workplace through your employees and and your colleagues as well to use that creativity and uh, for them to use their creativity? 
Absolutely. Again, that comes back to that authenticity. And uh, I love a workshop and a whiteboarding session. There's nothing better uh, than a day that involves a blank whiteboard and um, a bunch of people in a room exploring a a proposition that um, we don't yet know what the possibilities might arise. That's, uh, they are absolutely my favourite days. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing this chat with me today, Cameron. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Sam, and uh, good luck with the rest of the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.